This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asha Torah in the old city of Jerusalem overlooking the Temple Mount. And uh, please jump on board and uh, join the uh, r- uh, Rab. <laughs> What's the name of my club? Yom Tov Media. <laughs> Media Club. I just, uh, for those just tuning in, I just got back from mountain biking, so my brain's been in the hot sun for a little while. Um, YomTovMediaClub.com. Join YomTovMediaClub.com. And also, please share this, no matter what you're watching this on. If it's Facebook, share it. If it's Torny Time, subscribe. And YouTube, please subscribe. Building up our subscribers. Okay, so um, today what we're going to talk about is uh, how to get yourself opened up how to stop being someone who's closed up and rather be someone who's opened up. And um, it could be some of you in this room are just looking at me like, like, why would me being opened up be a good thing? And why is a rabbi talking about that? And especially a lot of people look at Judaism as like something that's more on the restrictive side. And so opened up doesn't, isn't like the first thing that you would maybe think I was coming here to talk about. But, uh, but I believe actually that if you don't open up, if you don't open up, you're going to pay for it. God's going to make you pay for it. Why? Because, you see, all you have to do is look at, look at the way Judaism looks at the classes of, uh, of uh, mineral, plant, animal, human. And that is that a mineral is called domem in Hebrew, and plant is called somach, and animal is called chai, like chai, like life. And, uh, and humans are called Midaber. Midaber. And what's Midaber mean? To speak. To speak. We're actually, the, our class in Judaism is called speakers. And speakers are expressors. And expression is really, really important. I'm from the West Coast where expression is the way of life out there. I mean, you just express whatever it is that's going on with you, which really works with everybody. So, like, for example... You can be uh, from L.A. where narcissism is not considered a personality disorder. And, and it works because if your narcissism steps too much on other people's toes, they'll actually say something. The problem is when a West Coaster marries an East Coaster and they're just waiting for their East Coast spouse to say something. And the East Coast spouse just can't <laughs> figure out why this person's so inconsiderate. And the West Coast person's not being inconsiderate. Because in the West Coast, you just keep pushing until you get pushed back. Yeah, you, you push until someone pushes you back. When they push you back, you're just like, thank you for letting me know the edge. Because otherwise, you'd never know the edge. And that's just the way they think. Now, the question is, which one's right? Which one's right? Which one does God favor? Does he favor the East Coast version? Or does he favor the West Coast version? And the answer is both, obviously. Um, we're supposed to be of good character and concerned of other people's well-being. On the other hand, any amount you were not self-expressed, you're busted. Yeah, As the cops in the Bronx say, you've been busted. Yeah, You've been busted. And the and that's how I grew up with the <laughs> cops used to tell us, we've been busted. So anyway, if the, uh, so if you're not expressing yourself, you've been busted. And that's a freaky thing. That that it doesn't scare me so much because I'm, if anything, I'm overly self-expressed, and I it hits a lot of walls, and I get constantly uh, told when I've overdone it, which is most of the time. And the so I'm always in good shape as far as self-expression, pretty good shape. I mean, it could be 
I'm, I, I'm telling you, part of this media club, the reason we have the media club is just because I'm scared to death that my self-expression in a technological age like this is not enough. It's not enough. Meaning it reaches whoever I reach, but it's not reaching however... Because it's every four months, there's a different world called being optimized. And so it scares me such that I've decided finally to just hire people to do it because I, I don't believe just hitting record on this thing's optimization. I think it requires a higher level of proficiency that's worth paying for. And so, and so, but I really believe we're all, we all could be busted. Now, I've done this a million times, I'll just do it again for those of you who are new. Is, uh, hey, what's this? Is a little Venn diagram up there. And on our left, we have. Uh, what is uh, not exactly to scale just the way things are um, on the left is uh, being Jewish and on the right is being Jewish and and they're they're, uh, they're mutually exclusive meaning, meaning there are just certain things that every Jew is obligated to do regardless of their Thoughts or feelings or preferences. You know, it doesn't matter what you think when it's evening time and you like, and it's time to pray, and the sun is setting. Uh, meaning, meaning, if it's if it's the first prayers of the day, which today I think were one fifteen was the first time you could do the afternoon service, and the last time you can do the afternoon service today is seven forty. That's quite a lot of hours there. So if you're not feeling it, you can skip it. And do it at three, or four, or five, or six. But if it's if it's six forty six thirty nine, and you're still not feeling it, what do you do? What do you do if it's six thirty nine? You're still not feeling it. What do you get? What do you do? You do it anyway. Just get the job done. And people confuse this a lot. People confuse this a lot. People like feel like it's a good day for to fill in. <laughs> like, it's there's no such thing as a good day for if it's day, it's to fill in time. Yeah, if it's daytime, it's to fill in time. If you already put it on that day, fabulous. If not, get it on. But that, but you understand, it's not like there's good days for to fill in. Now, you may have better sessions in your to fill in than others, depending where you're at, but they they are mutually exclusive. And the uh, and you get a lot of people with black attitude who are raised, you know, very observant, who who Jewish got knocked out during the war. See, there's a psychological thing called disassociation. Disassociation is a psychological thing that takes place when um, during torture or uh, or what's called micro torture, and that's when your dentist comes at your gums with a needle. Okay, that's we all disassociate for a moment there. We all just kind of take off for a split second. She's she's like, it's just going to be a little prick, and you're gone when she says that. And then and then and then it's in. You know, you feel it, and then and then you, it, the needle's in your gums, and then you realize like, relax, it's in. And then she's of course, you know, filling it with whatever she puts in there. All I know is it ends with the syllable cane. And I don't believe the first part is coke. And the um, anyway, but the anyway, then your gums are all your 
mouth's all numb, and, but you're reassociated, which isn't great, by the way, to be having someone using power tools in your mouth in full association. But whatever, we reassociate. Uh, paramedics disassociate. I promise you, everyone in El Paso yesterday was totally disassociated in that emergency that took place over there. That's a disassociation that would probably require uh, therapy in, uh, for anyone who was present at the time. Would, in reassociating, they're probably, many of them, especially the younger they are, are going to reassociate um, in, with, with things that need working out in, in their system. And, and also, uh, we ourselves uh, going through you know, some of our rougher days will, will sometimes need to reassociate. I have, I have my own meditative reassociations I do with myself when I've overdone it, when I've pushed myself too far. And now my wife's like, can we spend a little time together? And I'm just like, you know, can I use a chainsaw? And I'm just not feeling like candlelight right now. And, and, so, and so I'll do my little reassociation, uh, little miracle meditation, and then I'm, and then I'm back. And I'll light up a candle put on the soft music, you know, glass of wine, I'm good. So, so the, anyway, but that's disassociation. Now, people who have suffered real torture can become disassociated permanently. There are three types of Holocaust survivors when it comes to this. Um, the three types are, are uh, physical survivors. And those are the types that I grew up with in California. Meaning they, they survive physically. But they dumped Europe. Like, Europe is like gone, goodbye Europe. And, and also goodbye all Jewish tradition that was in Europe. And meaning besides lighting Hanukkah candles, obviously, and hearing shofar on Rosh Hashanah and, and uh, Passover seders. Like, thank God we did all that stuff. But, but you understand, Europe, we're, we're just closing the door on Europe, including all the Judaism and all the everything. These are the physical survivors. But, but you notice that the people are like, not 100% there. They're very loving, our grandparents, and, you, and probably your great-grandparents. Yeah, you, you, and you got to have uncles or aunts or grandparents like this? Father. Father, okay. You know what I'm talking about. He's a wonderful man. I'm sure he loves you like crazy, but he's... What? No longer with us. No longer with us. Oh, he was, but, but you also notice that they're about half there. You know, they're, they're, they're not like you and your buddies growing up. You know, they're a little different. And, uh, and you can understand why they're a little different. The next is um, the next is uh, is the physical and spiritual survivors. These are survivors of the Holocaust that survived not only with their bodies, but they also. Uh, by the way, these work generally together, but not always. They can be exclusive. But then there are spiritual survivors. They survived with their bodies. They got the numbers on their arms, but there's a pair of filling going on. You know, to the filling straps going over the number. <coughs> You know, they, 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 they also, you know, the truth is they don't even, they don't even hate Europe because the, the Judaism that existed in Europe before the destruction was, a, was still, um, you know, just an, uh, like 15 index points above the Judaism that we all were raised with. I mean, there were still people walking around who would just look at your face and tell you who you were, like <laughs> every incarnation. You know, like, and, they, and there were a few of them in every town. Like, the Judaism was just... Our tribal experience as a nation were, was just higher spiritually before that. Now, wh- however, something interesting is, is uh, I, I wouldn't even say that. Forget that point I almost said. 
Um, it just wasn't dated right. It was 150 years before that. But the but it, there was a Judaism in Europe before the war that was like. Like, if any of you are doubting whether there's a God or whether Torah is actually true, <laughs> there, were, there were people, I even met some of these people, that could walk in this door, all your hair would stand up, because you're looking this way, you wouldn't be looking at the door. All, everyone's hair in this room would stand up, you'd then look with shock towards the door, what the hell just happened? You'd look towards the door, and all of you would fall on your faces. <laughs> you'd fall out of your chairs, onto your faces, in the presence of some man or woman from that generation before the war. I mean, all of us know the horrors of, uh, I mean, we don't know the horrors, but we've heard some of the, you know, some taste of the horrors of the Holocaust. But the, uh, but we, there's another aspect of it you don't know about, and that's what all the Rebbe's call the destruction of Europe. They don't call it, they don't call it the Holocaust so much, they'll often call it the destruction of Europe. And then you'll think about it like any of you have been on a Eurorail pass, like, what do you mean the destruction of Europe? Like, I've, I've traveled through 17 European countries. I didn't see anything destroyed there. You know, what, what are they talking about? What they're talking about is the spirituality that was destroyed. We inherited a soulless Judaism in this generation. It was a soulless Judaism that we inherited. And uh, if you can remind me, remind me of, uh, of the, uh, the, the final nail in the coffin in a minute um, anyway so so there are those who had both physical and spiritual survival and those are the ones who built uh, places like um, like Brooklyn like uh, Williamsburg Borough Park, Flatbush which ultimately became Muncie and Lakewood where they said they said we're going to show those Nazi bastards and we're going to rebuild Judaism. And they rebuilt Judaism, in a, and they did it viciously. Viciously, because number three, they didn't have. And number three is the I. Is the, the sense of self. And, and uh, I mean, can you imagine a Judaism without an I? <laughs> that sounds rough. You know, like, if it's just a, a ruthless, like... We're going to show those Nazi bastards and we're going to rebuild. And boy, did they rebuild. And I mean, if you've ever had a Shabbos in, in Flatbush or Borough Park or any of these, in Williamsburg, I mean, you see what I'm talking about. I, mean, I was just in Williamsburg for Shabbos. It was the most beautiful Shabbos ever. But they, while I was in Shabbos, there was a, a full-on protest parade going through the streets for people carrying, <laughs> using the Eruv that there is. There is an Eruv there. And it was like there was a, like a major protest for people using the A-roof. Now, how would you feel if you're a mother who uses the A-roof and pushes a stroller to have, have half, half your city screaming epitaphs going down your street about, you know, the, the uh, you know, the, the, whatever, you know, the, the, the sin of pushing your stroller using the A-roof that exists there. And you shouldn't be using the air of apparent, according to these people. But you understand, there's a bit of a ruthless. It would have been. It would have been a lot nicer to, uh, to maybe, figure out which neighbors of which buildings are pushing strollers and maybe have a private conversation with them, rather than uh, cause the humiliation of everybody who, who, would like to actually go to their mother's house for Shabbos with their child. You know, like, 
how about I bring my baby to my mother's house? Like, is that such a big deal? As long as there's an Arab, you should be able to do that. So, anyway, but it is a bit of a ruthless, a ruthless thing, and that's having the eye intact, where you have both the physical survival, the spiritual survival, and very few people. Can someone mention anyone they've heard of that also had the third type of survival? There's a woman I'm thinking of who's famous for having a really amazing sense of self. She passed away this last year. Young Yeah, Esther Young Rice. She was, you know, there are very few people who got to have all three. But Esther Young Rice was one of those examples. There were some Rebbe's, like the, the Bubba Rebbe also. His eye was still very, very strong. In fact, um, his very first Shabbos, when he, was, when he came uh, off the, a boat, I think, to New York after the war, and, you know, he was emaciated. He was like, you know, he was in deep need of rehabilitation from the, from the war. And he, but he was strong enough, you know, to make the voyage, and he got to America, and and he, um, he, meaning he'd already been in the camp, the post-war, what do you call this? What? D- DP camps, and uh, he had already gotten his strength back a bit. So they, so what had happened was there were Jewish kids in a camp in the country in the Catskills, or there was already starting his his. Uh, Dynasty in Borough Park, Brooklyn, and he. They asked him, you know, where are you going to be for Shabbos? He says, "I'll be with the kids." Let me go be with the kids for Shabbos. And as he arrived from from the war, from the camps, the kids were all lined up. Hundreds of kids lined up at the camp. Were already were singing above of Renigan as he drove up and got out of the got out of his. Out of the, the car and saw that that Bubba will survive, and as it does survive and thrive and around the world. Now, um, anyway, but those are examples of people who had both the physical, spiritual, and the eye. But there, there are even people who never had a Holocaust, but they had a personal Holocaust, and those are victims of. Uh, and that's been very popular lately. Is uh, you know the whole Me Too generation is that um, that unwanted touch has the same disassociative, disassociative um, properties, unwanted touch. And, the, uh, and we, what's been going on the last two years is just uh, a major awareness campaign. Um, it, I mean, it's been politicized, and it's become, you know, like... People often, you know, roll their eyes at it, but, they, but it, we should, for, its, for its essence, one should never roll their eyes at it and it should never become politicized because of the it's called affect um, the, the, the cellular trauma inside the body of someone who's touched without their consent and that would include obviously even with consent if it's a child who doesn't know better and, the, um, and that is a, a disassociative uh, thing can take place um, and reassociation is not a simple matter whatsoever and it's the, the greatest therapy for reassociation is uh, is likely going to turn out to be a psychedelic therapy of some sort. They seem to find that that uh, either the psilocybin mushroom or the or the compound found in MDMA seems to be the best way to kind of recircuit one's one's self again. It kind of defrags the body and the mind and and uh, allows someone to kind of recuperate their sense of self and. They kind of get them back to their original factory settings before the disassociation 
took place. And, and there's plenty of science there to read up on now. You can just go, you can just Google, Google that. Um, that's simple. Googling or you can read Michael Pollan's work, uh, How to Change Your Mind, which is uh, gives some level of detail of that. And it's a great read. You can read the whole book in, in a day just because he's such a good writer. I mean, this is a book that should have taken anyone six weeks to read because it's so scientific, but it's it just you just can't put it down. And really a fabulous book. It's called How to Change Your Mind. Just send it on Amazon now and you'll thank me later. Yeah. I don't say that very, about a lot of books, by the way. I have very few books I, I recommend. And by the way, two more, since I'm bringing up books, is, uh, is uh, a must-read is, is a book called uh, You Can Be Happy No Matter What, written by Richard Carlson. That's, that's an absolute required reading. You Can Be Happy No Matter What, especially for Jews. Jews need that book. That is a lifesaver. I must have bought 15 copies over the last... 30 years and uh, just handed them out over the years, made sure they circulated Asha Torah and help all those pasty-faced, depressed-looking yeshiva boys. That's You Can Be Happy No Matter What. And, and of course, uh, uh, the manifesto, uh, you know, the book of all books is, uh, is called A New Earth, written by Eckhart Tolle. That's a... Uh, that's an absolute must-read. Now, you, you, you're just simply irresponsible if you haven't read that book yet. In 2019, you're just taking no responsibility for the generation you live in if you've missed that book. So just get it, read it, and read it slowly. That one reads slowly. Couple pages, integrate. Couple pages, integrate. And just take it real slow. It should take you a year to read it. Um, by the way, when you finish that one, then I recommend you read it again. And then again and again, I would suggest no less than three readings before you start another book, once you start that book. There is one caveat, though, is that I don't know how he managed to do this, because usually people that smart have some concept of Judaism. I don't know how it missed him, but this guy, he does not know his ass from his elbow when it comes to Judaism. I mean, he is completely clueless, and it's bizarre. I mean, it's just totally bizarre because I've done a lot of reading, and usually when you get a mind like this, like they're they're usually like they've got some of the foundational stuff inside. Not him; he he missed that part. And so, if you're expecting anything Jewish, when I say Jewish, everything's Jewish in that book. But I'm talking about like being able to quote Judaism <laughs> properly. He can't do it, and if anything, he'll quote JC, which uh, which you can put that in quotes. <laughs> You can go ahead. He will quote JC and then give it some Buddhist twist every time. Like, he'll quote JC and then give it a Buddhist twist every time. But I just simply skip those quotes. Yeah. And speaking of Christianity, I'm, I'm having this whole new thing with Christianity lately. And, it's, and I think it's all Jordan Peterson's fault. And, and that is the... Um, I've, always, I've always been outspoken. Uh, I've been always, you know, extremely outspoken to a point where, like... I've tried to keep the subject out of my live feeds altogether because I just don't want to get Christians angry. I mean, you, you saw what happened yesterday in El Paso, so like, I just don't want Christians getting angry. And who knows that guy was Christian anyway? But, but the, uh, but the, I just don't want to. I'm not here to upset Christians, and not to mention there's a billion of them. But uh, I generally never had a nice thing to say in my entire career. But there is a but, and. And the, and the blood is that, that if I could just remove, if I could remove all the hell the Jews have been through, 
I am wondering if it wasn't for Christianity, might it have even been worse? Might it have even been worse? We we know that the the in the in the atheistic you know uh, <coughs> you know the whatever took place over there with under Stalin and all the Marxist uh, philosophies that led to political programs that, that wiped out you know some of the worst the worst massacres in all of history which were not were, were, those aren't known for um, like the way Christianity is known to wipe us out but they, they really wiped out a lot of people and Jews were included in that often and persecuted in that but uh, sometimes I wonder if I should take it easy a little bit on on it I'll take a vote who says I should still stay stay harsh and vengeful over the, the the blood spilled of our brothers and sisters throughout Christian history. Who says I should be more gentle, given that it might have been even worse had it not been for some kind of a, a deistic moral virtue that Europe was, you know, at least using as a as its foundations. Okay, all in favor, stay harsh. Raise your hands. All in favor, is take it easy on the Christians. <laughs> it was almost half and half. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leave it up to my Christian uh, viewers. I have a lot of. They're not Christian anymore. They've all dropped Christianity so just, nice. just by virtue of being my students on the live feed. They've all dropped their affiliation with Christianity, which Oprah did as well because of her relationship with Eckhart Tolle. But the, um, but I would. Um, I'll leave it up to them. So all my viewers who are not from Jewish mothers or converts to Judaism, uh, all those viewers, please send in your votes and I will read them. <laughs> I need a, I need, I think I'm adjusting. I just can't decide. I'm not, a, I mean, I was out of school since I'm 11. So it's not like I really understand the historical perspective of what Christianity offered Western civilization such that it might've been much worse or, I always, I always saw it as a Jew, and for us, it'd be like it would have been a lot better not to have, you know, that kind of stuff going on. I mean, I mean, you realize that, you realize what happened. I mean, there were whole, there were a whole like, I mean, there were Jews just living along the Rhine River alone in giant communities of, giant communities of scholarship and beauty and traditions straight from the temple, meaning straight from temple times. Communities lived along the Rhine that that had the songs that were sung in the temple and all the and traditions that were kept all the way down. Not to mention massive amounts of scholarship. And on one Shabbos alone, the Christians came in and did not leave one man, woman, or child alive in, in whole Jewish cities. Spire, Worms, Mainz. I mean, there's no one was left alive. Not to mention all the manuscripts that were burned. Everything was handwritten in those days, and and, um, and that's it. All happened on one Shabbos, which is where the word Black Sabbath comes from. Is that it was the Black Sabbath? Not an appropriate name for a rock band, by the way. And did, but what did they know? I mean, <laughs> who's that? Alice Cooper or something? Yeah, I wonder if he was Jewish. Is he? I don't. They didn't realize obviously what they were doing. You know, it was like it's one of the saddest days in world history, and, and uh, the lowest points of 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 the diabolic Christian, you know, the Christian devil 
coming after the Jew, you know, and me. Uh, so th that's why I've been a little rough. But maybe it would have been worse. Uh, okay. <coughs> anyway, so uh, can you see the board, by the way, on the camera? Yeah. You can see the eye and the... No, you're dancing. Uh, Don't move the camera. <laughs> I moved the board. You see it now? Yeah. A little bit more. How's that? A little bit more. Uh, yeah, but what was the nail there in the coffin? Ah, the nail in the coffin, yeah. So there's a very interesting, there's a very interesting uh, portion of the Torah. I also recommend this book. <laughs> 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 yeah, this is when I, my next class actually is just about the authorship of this. It's called control, and it's called control. And the whole job in this class is to see if um, to see if uh, if it could be that a human being wrote the uh, wrote the Torah. Is that is that possible? That a human being wrote the Torah. So here's what happens. Yeah, man. Quick question. I forgot your name. We're talking about Michael. Um, you say anyone here refuse to be filmed? Can I flip the screen? Because the uh, people who watch it love it. Is anyone ditching seminary right now? <laughs> yeah, Michael, you're on. Uh, the question I have for you, you were talking about whether you should be more lenient towards Christians. And... I would say doesn't the Torah require us to be? Because we're supposed to love our neighbors and we're supposed to be the light unto all nations. And then also, like, if you look at really bad travesties, there's certain Christians that made decisions that were not, they weren't supposed to do. They also have the commandment because they got from Jews to love their neighbor. But there's a lot of Christians that fought for us and, and helped us to get to a point where we're at now. Uh, so that, that's the question I have for you is that we're supposed to love Everyone, and if, if we want a Messiah to come again, I think we have to be in a place of tranquility, especially within Jews, this infighting within Judaism. Uh huh. Okay, so um, so you're pulling out the, the verse in the Torah, love your neighbor. All right. Um, I think you're voting on me being more mellow with my relationship to. <laughs> so. <laughs> if, if you don't mind my indulging I'm not going to address that particular sentence in the Torah of love your neighbor um, this isn't the correct form for that um, you might be saying what <laughs> why can't we discuss that sentence in the Torah <laughs> and, but if you heard the answer you'd understand why I'm not going to discuss that right now um, however uh, you can ask me private afterwards all about that sentence in the Torah and as far as light into the nations, I'm with you 100% on that. That hatred's nowhere to be, uh, no place to go. And um, hatred's pretty bad. And you know what the Kabbalists say is hatred actually blocks your spiritual path. I mean, you could be like climbing Jacob's ladder, and then your head just kind of hits, a, hits, a, hits the ceiling, or it hits like a block. The ladder keeps going, but hatred's where... Blocks. Like you can't keep climbing Jacob's ladder with hatred in your heart, and so um, which brings up King David, what King David says. 
that he said, uh, Hashem <coughs> Lovers of God hate evil. Lovers of God hate evil. Meaning, if you say you love God and you're neutral about evil, you know, you're a real millennial, you know. Yeah, I'm into God, but like, you know, all that other stuff is cool too, you know. And, you know, you're just like kind of playing both sides of the fence. Not what King David said. King David said, if you're a lover of God, you got to hate evil. Now, you may not have yet distinguished what evil is. So, you know, you got to study a little more. But, but if something's evil, you got, it's hatred is appropriate for it. So, therefore, I, what I've tried to do is create a, a paradox here. Because on the one hand, hatred blocks your spiritual path. On the other hand, King David says to hate evil. So what's the obvious answer is to hate the evil without not hating the person perpetrating evil. Hate the evil, not the person. Still pain. Yeah, that's fine. That's what King David's saying is, is don't be neutral about evil. Hate it. Now, God gave us all ability to hate. And I'm sure none of you hate anybody, but but <laughs> God gave you the ability to hate. And you're, if you got that emotion, you're supposed to use it. And what are you supposed to use it for? You're supposed to use it for darkness. You're supposed to hate evil. <coughs> with a consummate hatred. With a consummate hatred. Now, how do you express that? You know how I express it? Shabbos gifts. <laughs> Shabbos gifts. You know, I was once walking down the street, I saw this a friend of mine, and we're not close friends, and when you hear the story, you'll understand why. He's screaming Shabbos at the top of his lungs as the car is driving by. He's screaming Shabbos, kind of like that. He's just like, like blood-curdling screams in the faces of the drivers driving by in Shabbos. He's just going like, Shabbos! With his, with his hat and you know his, his fur hat and his talis on, and he's on his way back from shul, and he's screaming Shabbos. And then, uh, anyway, the car goes by, and I'm I'm walking with him because I know the guy, and I'm like, I'm like, you feeling all right, man? And he and he's he's he, I'm kidding, I didn't say that. I know the guy. I've seen him screaming shadows a million times, and and he, you know what he said to me? He said something to me very beautiful because we walked together many times, and he says to me, you know, I realize you hate you hate that people break Shabbos way more than I do. And I'm like, yeah, how's that? He says, because because it's easy to scream. It's another thing to spend your hard-earned money on chicken soup and meat and fish and drinks and craft beer and you know, and you just and it just keeps coming when you come to my house for Chavez. And it's like it's like you you know, it's easy to scream and then go home to my wife and kids. It's another thing to pack your house with a bunch of strangers and inspire them about Shabbos we both hate evil I think I hate evil more it's also he does he, he's a cobbler he works in shoes during the week I, I spend my life you know basically humiliating myself in front of all of you I mean when do you get up here and try this you know, like, let's get you up here come on up here yeah. your turn you know you understand that, that. and and there was a time in my life years ago where I said that if I go any more public than I already am, that I'm sticking my neck out. And when you stick your neck out, you know, there are people called trolls in there. And, they, and those <laughs> bastards, you know, like 
with their high and mighty, you know, emails, love to email me, you know, with, of course, a fake name or no phone number or whatever. And, and you know, I knew that I was going to be exposing myself to that. And I had to weigh exposure versus uh, having God say, where the hell were you? Why didn't you speak up, Mr. Nadavir? Why don't you speak up? Why don't you say something? If you got something to say, say it. Right? And and so I remember I was standing in front of a group of people that I was very close with who I was training at the time, and I said to them, I realize now that the next step is getting really exposed. And exposes me, exposes my wife, exposes my family, exposes us for for dating, exposes us for getting kids in schools and you know, and they're very exposed, and and um, and so I had to decide that that the difference I could make would be worth exposing myself like that. And and it was the best decision I've ever made. But there have been some rough trolls out there, and uh, I've had to deal with some stuff. And and, uh, <laughs> and here's the crazy part: is I love them too. <laughs> I love them too because I've also I've been in I've been in an argument with my wife where I thought for sure I was right and found out later <laughs> I've been in arguments with my wife where I was sure I was right and I dug in my heels only to find out I was totally wrong afterwards I just lacked a little perspective and once I got the perspective I was like you know, I put my tail between my legs. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> you know, and and so I'm sure everyone, anyone who's ever had a bone to pick with anyone is coming from some perspective that they think they're doing the world a favor, and and I get that. So I actually forgive everybody who, who you know, all those bastards. Sorry, it was important. I'm sure about it. There's a little button that silences the ringer. So, anyway, we'll show you that after. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, the um, so so I I found in general that forgiveness is the way to go rather than vengefulness, um, with the exception of Christians, obviously. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the. Um, but uh, forgiveness is the way to go. Because think about it, when you don't forgive someone and you're vengeful, you're, all you're doing is promoting their evil ultimately. I mean, that just means someone else is going to get harmed next. Whereas if you can pray for their speedy recovery, you know, like that, pray for their well-being. Like if they were well, they wouldn't have done that. And so maybe that would create more good in the world rather than more evil in the world. Um, anyway, but here's the thing is, Abraham... Uh, Abraham, Abraham's wife, passes away. And uh, are you guys ready for me? Did they finish the previous class? Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Seriously? Still got five minutes. How do you know? They gave you five minutes? No, it starts at ten past four. Ten past four I start? I think. I'm not sure. Well, okay, we'll let the lady come fetch me. What's that? You want to hear a little of my class? Yeah, Okay. <laughs> is my youngest student this week. So, um, anyway, Abraham remarries, and, and it says like this. You know, he, Sarah passes away, and then he remarries, and her name is Incense, and uh, Keturah, and then it says all these names. Now, it lists the names of the descendants, who are all the names of Hindu books. 
These are all names of Hindu books from thousands of years ago, and uh, including the Veda. And um, and then and then it says Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the concubine children who were Abraham's. Now the fact that she's called a concubine when he married her is pretty interesting. Um, but there's a reason why I'm not going to go into that. But to the concubine children, Abraham gave gifts. What's the obvious question? If he gave all that he had to Isaac, what are the gifts? And we're not going to focus on that either. <laughs> Sorry. And then, um, then he sent them away from Isaac. Probably it was probably uh, Kabbalah. It was probably some kind of Kabbalistic thing about how worlds work, which is of course what the Hindus are all about. And uh, he gave them that. But then it says, Then he sent them away from Isaac, his son. Which is very interesting. Which shows you the line. Because they're all his sons. So I say, I mean, there's just so many superfluities here. So they sent him away from Isaac. Now, if he sent them away, do I need to know that's away from Isaac? Yes or no? Yeah. No. No. If he sent them away, they're away from Isaac. Abram and Isaac are a pair. They're a team. And... I, if you follow Isaac's story, he's going to be here in the land of Israel. He sends them away from Isaac, superfluous, his son, superfluous, telling you where the line's going to go. The line of the Abrahamic line is going to really be going Isaac to Jacob. And then it has, another, and then it says, while he was still alive. Well, who was still alive? Abraham. Well, I wasn't thinking that he was sending them away while he was dead. <laughs> That's why we're talking about the final nail in the coffin. Sent them away from Isaac, his son, while he was still alive, eastward to the lands of the east. Now it is, now that's also weird, <laughs> eastward, if it's eastward to the lands of the east. But why does it even mention which direction? And it turns out that the secular scholars of, of uh, India tell us that Hinduism came in the exact same time of the end of Abraham's life, and it came from west of the Euphrates. And it turns out the highest caste of Hinduism is, is a Abraham, is a Brahmin. This comes from Brahmins. It's Abrahamic. is the, the closest caste to Abraham. Whatever, we don't get into that. The main thing is this, is stay away from Isaac. Stay away from the Jewish line, you Easterners. Stay away from there. And interestingly, you can go to like the far reaches of South America and find the Abrahamic traditions of Christianity coming from Asa when they conquered the Indians of uh, South America. You find churches everywhere. I mean, I've been surfing in Indonesia in the middle of the jungle, the rainforest, and found a Dutch church, you know, in the middle. Like, our, our reach is everywhere. But just India, which is like literally a hop, skip, and a jump. You know, you pass all the stands, you're already in India. <coughs> you know, a couple stands, and then next thing is the Indian, uh, you know, area. Yeah, that's India. And um, yet, there's been no contact. In fact, the Dalai Lama, who is today's current, uh, you know, leader of uh, Tibetan Buddhism, he, um, he says that he knows of no history of contact between the Jews in the Indians, besides obviously the Jews that were in India, but other than that, no real contact with the Jewish civilization. Except what happens is the Holocaust happens, and everyone leaves Europe behind. There were physical births and stuff, and then what happened was on the sixth, we count seven weeks 
till Shavuos, from Pesach to Shavuos is a seven-week count. And on the sixth day of the sixth week was the Six-Day War in 1967. And all these miracles happened. We get back our biblical territory, we get back the Temple Mount. And that begins the Balchuva movement, but it also began the call to India. And that, ready? Okay, excellent. And that, that was the call to India and began the whole, you know, call to, to Eastern traditions. You see, even the Beatles went over there and it was like the, the, the whole deal there. And that's when Abraham finally died, meaning when Europe was destroyed, the Abrahamic tradition was finally, that was the final nail in the coffin. And then from then on, Eastern traditions are going to be important in, in Jewish tradition. Not that I'm studying Eastern traditions or anyone I know is, but not only not um, not that I uh, not that we study Eastern traditions, but it's just that that to find the Jewish and put the Jewish and the Jewish and have them back together is going to require a spirituality that they maintained all the years while we went through hell. And today, Jews meditate. Today, Jews are Jews are. Meaning Jews always meditated, but we had a major break, and that break is now being healed, and it's all being healed. You'll notice any Jew who's worth his salt today is uh, is a dedicated meditator, and and uh, you know takes takes <coughs> his himself, and he has a strong eye, and he's he's a very well developed human being, and and is uh, an accomplished, uh, self self um, fulfilled, and self. Um, uh, expressed and um, I forget the right word I'm looking for but they but they you know they're really integrated very integrated between the two worlds of Jewish and Jewish Shalom everybody sorry about the crazy class today it, it, it'll be good to hack into several pieces for YouTube Shalom you've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com